Well, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. We've been in a series the last several weeks uh, that we've called Hope Restored. We've been going through this uh, wonderful book. How many like Ruth fans? Here, I absolutely love uh, the story in the book of Ruth. A lot of people have said, you know, I knew this story before, but there's been so many amazing things that I didn't know. Some have said, like, I've never even like heard this, and it's such an amazing story in the Old Testament. And 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 hopefully through this, you're being edified and you're being encouraged. That listen, no matter what's going on right now in the news, no matter what's going on in our nation. No matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on in your life, you can still have hope in God. Dear friend, nothing has to take that away from you. Our hope in God is the anchor of our soul. And sometimes, even people of great faith can get discouraged, uh, can feel like that their hope has become shattered. And this book, I hope, has renewed us and our hope in God. And so this morning, we're going to kind of come to the end, although this isn't my last sermon in Ruth, I don't think. Uh, next week, the plan is to finish the book with one final sermon that will likely preach all four chapters again. So you might bring a sack lunch or something. We may be here a while. Uh, but I want to come back next week and kind of, you know, what are the takeaways? What are the things that we need to learn from this book? But let's at least finish the story this morning here in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. If you're able to Stand. Would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word? I believe these words come to us with the very authority of God. Let's listen now to Ruth 4, beginning with, with verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Pray for our time together today. Father, thank you for this time. What a joy it is to be together. Uh, we get to experience this morning your very presence. Uh, we get to hear your voice as we look to your word. Come and speak to us, we pray. Uh, Lord, I believe that there are people here this morning whose life is just, it's broken, it's shattered. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to restore that hope in them. Uh, Lord, may we be a people who have a joy overflowing because we have you in our life. For as your word says, you are the restorer of our lives. Come and do that, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you please be seated? All right, nobody move. I got a dragon here and I'm not afraid to use it. I'm a donkey on the edge. <laughs> Celebrity marriages, they never last, do they? 
Go ahead, Trey. Uh, Fiona? Yes, Shrek? I... I love you. Really? Really, really. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> I was hoping this would be a happy ending. All right, just how it works in real life, isn't it? Listen, everybody likes a good love story. And our culture specifically is obsessed with love stories. I mean, just think for just a moment of how many songs, how many books, how many stories, how many movies are centered around the idea of true love. I mean, just think about all the movies, for example. There's Casablanca. Any Casablanca fans that date some of you, right? Play it again, Sam. Or what about Gone with the Wind? How many of you Shakespeare fans? Anybody? Okay, good. Two of you and one big fan right there, right? Romeo and Juliet. Or, or, or more modern examples like Sleepless in Seattle. Pastor Terry's favorite, which is The Notebook, right? He has a man crush. And what about, uh, what about Pride and Prejudice? In fact, even like even kid stories, like we can't even have a kid story without it being turned into love. Like, for instance, Beauty and the Beast or my daughter's favorite. She said, Daddy, Daddy, you've got to make sure to include this one. I mean, like I asked her sermon advice and she said, you got to include Sleeping Beauty. Right? I mean, and I figured while we're talking about love stories that I would share with you my favorite love story, which is this Rambo. <laughs> Okay, okay, it's not technically a love story, right? But the truth is, we're all drawn to love stories. Everybody likes a love story. There's something about a love story that grips our heart, it it stirs our emotions, and, and how do we want every love story to end? What are those three words? Just say it with me. We want it to end happily ever after. It's exactly what Donkey said in that Shrek clip. Do you remember that line? He says, I was hoping there would be a happy ending. You see, the truth is, dear friend, that's what everybody wants. 
The romanticism aside, that's what you want. That's what I want. We want our lives, we want our stories to end happily ever after. That's exactly how Ruth, the story of Ruth, in Ruth chapter 4 ends. It ends happily ever after. And of course it should. I mean, this has been the perfect Hebrew love story, hasn't it? It's got all the elements that make an epic story. There's been tragedy. The story begins in the very dark days of Israel. They've rebelled against God. They're suffering the consequences of that rebellion. There's this one family, Elimelech and Naomi, and they go to Moab. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. Her two sons, Malon and Kilion, die. It is a a tragic, sorrowful, very dark beginning. It also has the element of suspense. Ruth goes out gleaning in the fields and meets Boaz, as we've called him, Bohunk, this man's man, this dude's dude. And, and, and there's all the suspense around uh, and, uh, Boaz and Ruth, right? And uh, there's that suspenseful moment, remember, at the threshing floor. And then there's that moment when we discover that there's a closer kin. Do you remember last week when Mr. Poloni Almoni steps up and says, I will redeem her, and we were all like, no. That's not how this story is supposed to end. There's been tragedy, there's been suspense, and there's also been celebration. Poloni Almoni backs out of the deal because he didn't realize Ruth was a part of the package. And what happens? Boaz steps in and he says, I will redeem her. It is the chick flick of all chick flicks. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's better than Rambo. All right? I mean, it is an awesome story. The question is, with all these elements of a great story, will it end happily ever after? Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So immediately after the act of redemption that we looked at last week with Boaz, immediately after that, what happens? Boaz marries Ruth. The Bible says that then Boaz went, (coughs) you know, um, I am all for verse-by-verse preaching. I am all for every single phrase, but... I think I'm going to leave that one alone, all right? And then all of a sudden, nine months later, a baby. I mean, like it's that simple. There's no nausea. There's no morning sickness. There's no labor pains. It's just, then there was a baby. I mean, seriously, ladies, what's all the fuss about, all right? I'm kidding. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Right? I mean, is that really what the author has in mind here? It's just marriage and babies? Is that really the point of this verse? Well, in one sense, that is the natural reading of the verse. But if we've been paying attention to the story, we ought to know that there's a lot more going on here. What this phrase, what this verse really represents is a happily ever after ending. Why do you say that? I say that because what the author is doing here is he's ending... The way the story began. Think about that. How did this story start in chapter 1? Two sons die. 
How does the story end? A son is born. And in between what we've experienced has been at least 10 plus years of barrenness for Ruth. And now we see that she gives birth to a son, which I believe is the fulfillment of the blessing that was spoken over her by Boaz back in chapter 2, verse 12. Look at it. Boaz said, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, Ruth's life is completely different now, at least in this culture. Again, we have to remember that family is everything in the ancient Near East. And Ruth has lost that, but now at the end of the story, she has gained that. Don't you see? Ruth's life has been forever changed. She has a brand new identity. She is no longer who she once was. In fact, let me give you just a few points that I think help us understand verse 13 more in terms of this transition in Ruth's life. What does this marriage to Boaz and this redemption mean for her? Number one, what we know of Ruth was she was a foreigner. She was an outsider. She was an alien. She was a stranger. She had absolutely no part whatsoever of the people of God. But what is true of Ruth now? She is now married to Boaz, which means she belongs to God's people. She is a part now of the nation of Israel. Here's what we also know, number two. Not only was she a foreigner, she's a Moabite. And what do we know about Moabites? What we know about Moabites is they are the enemy to God's people. Sometime when you have time, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and read that. Here's what you're going to discover. Israelites hated Moabites because when Israel was coming out of Egypt and they needed food and drink, guess who turned their nose up and their back on the nation of Israel? Moab, the king of Moab. And as a result of that, there was an animosity towards the Moabites. They were not allowed into the assembly. They were not even to make peace with them. They are hated. And so now you have a woman who's from Moab. She's a Moabite. And now what happens because of her marriage to Boaz? She is blessed by Israelite women. They speak a blessing over her. In other words, right here, faith family, she's received. She's accepted. She was rejected and hated, but now she's accepted and loved. Number three, not only is she a foreigner, a Moabite, but thirdly, she worshiped false gods. When she was living in Moab, she worshiped Chemosh. But now that she's a part of the people of God, who does she worship? Yahweh. Do you remember what she said to Naomi? Your God is my God. What a transformation. Number four, she was a widow. She lost her husband. In fact, do you remember? Do you remember when Naomi and Ruth were headed back to Bethlehem and Naomi kept urging Ruth, go back, go back, go back, go back. Do you remember that? You remember? You remember? That's awesome, right? Do you remember when that happened? Why is she urging her to go back? Because you're a widow, and if you go to Bethlehem, you will stay a widow. Your best bet to get a man is to go back to Moab. But now what does she have as a result of this marriage? She has a husband. 
There were five. We've also said that throughout this story, uh, uh, Ruth has been barren. And now, as a result of this marriage, the Bible tells us she has a son. Number six, Ruth is poor. She has nothing. Do you remember when her and Naomi came back? Do you remember what Naomi said? We left full and returned empty. They have no change in their pocket. They have no money in their 401k. They are desperate. They are absolutely broke. But what does, what does Ruth have now as a result of her marriage to Boaz? Every one of her needs will be provided for And then lastly, she is the lowest of low of low. Notice what she even says about herself so you don't think I'm just being mean to her. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. This is what Ruth says about herself in light of Boaz's favor. Verse 13, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly, chesed, to your servant. Here it is. Though I am not one of your servants. Right here. What Ruth is saying is, there's your servant girls, and then there's me. I'm the lowest of low. I do not deserve a single ounce of your grace. Do you see the point? Do do you get the feeling of now what verse 13 means? It means that Ruth's has a brand new identity, that she is no longer who she was. She's been redeemed. Or let me put it this way, Ruth is no longer a poor, starving, false God-worshipping enemy. She's an accepted, worthy, fulfilled bride. How's that for happily ever after? Everything is different now in her life as a result of redemption. Does that language sound familiar to you? Did anything that I just said ring a bell? Was there any language that kind of popped out like you've heard that before? I don't know, like maybe Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world? Uh, did it sound a little bit like Romans chapter 5, verse 10? For if while we were what? Enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Did that language sound a little bit like Romans chapter 1 verse 25? And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. One more. Did it sound a little bit like Isaiah 64 verse 4? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Right here, faith family, everybody, does that story sound vaguely familiar? You see, Ruth's story is your story. Ruth's story is 
our story. In fact, notice here, without redemption, without Jesus, this is what is true of us. This is our story. Number one, we're outside the people of God. Number two, we're enemies of God, the Bible says, because of our sin. Number three, we worship false gods. It may not be chemosh. It may be uh, a spouse. It may be children. It may be sex. It may be money. But we worship created things more than we worship our Creator. Because of that, we have no relationship with God whatsoever. We are separated from Him. And we are not in His family. We are not sons and daughters of God. And therefore, we are undeserving of the grace of God. Right here, that is our story. And you say, I'm so glad I came to church. I thought this was supposed to be about hope. Why are you being so depressing? I'm just being true unless you know Jesus. But when you know Jesus, the great Redeemer, now here's your story. This is your story. You're a part of the people of God. You belong now. You're accepted and received because you've been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ. He doesn't consider you an enemy. He considers you a friend. Not only that, we worship. That's why we're here today. The one true and living God. We have a relationship with God. How amazing is that? In fact, you're called, according to the Bible, the bride of Christ. You have a husband. His name is Jesus. You're in the very family of God. And you're not poor, lowly, bottom of the earth. You're a king and a queen, an heir to the very kingdom of God. How's that for happily ever after? That's your story. That's the transformation that has taken place in our life, not because of Boaz, but because of Jesus Christ. It's why I tell you, friends, listen, whatever baggage you're bringing in with you today, what is written over your story is happily ever after if you know Jesus Christ. Amen? Like th- When you read Ruth, insert you. Because this is your story. Like those great words of that hymn, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy. His child. And forever I am. That's your story. Celebrate that story today. And if you don't know Jesus, be a part of that story today. I know what some of you are thinking. Here he goes again. Can't we just have a verse about babies? Does it always have to come back to the gospel? I mean, over and over again. Let me ask you this, Faith Family. Do you think I'm stretching this? Do you think I'm reading too much into verse 13? I don't think I am. In fact, let me go one step further as to why what we see happen in Ruth's life is at the heart of the gospel. Do you notice that last phrase in verse 13 that says, and she bore a son? Huh. That kind of sounds familiar. She bore a son. She bore a son. She bore a son. Just kind of hold that in the back of your mind for a moment. 
I want to step back and then we'll see how that is pointing us to the gospel. Notice back in verse 12 what's going on here. You're going to be so glad you came to church today when we talk about this. And may your house be like the house of Paris, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, what in the world's going on here? Go back and read Genesis chapter 38, where this story is found. But let me summarize it for you. This is crazy. All right. So there's a guy named Judah. His oldest son is married to a woman by the name of Tamar. Uh, They don't have any children. And the oldest son dies, Tamar's husband. You see its relationship to this story. Uh, Tamar is fearful, again, because of this culture, no family, no hope. She's fearful that she will have no hope for the future. And so she wants Judah's youngest son to be her redeemer, but he will not. So what Tamar does is she puts a plan together and she dresses up like a prostitute, seduces her father-in-law and becomes pregnant. She has twins The oldest one is Perez. Now that's the story of Tamar. Add to that that the next person we read about in verse 13 is Boaz. Huh. Who was Boaz's mom? A lady by the name of Rahab. Does that sound familiar? Rahab was a prostitute, a harlot in Jericho. And then we read about Ruth. Well, what do we know about Ruth? She's a... Moabite? Where did Moabites come from? A man by the name of Lot who had an incestuous relationship with his daughters. And some of you are thinking, I thought my family was messed up. (laughs) I mean, this is like, and the sands through the hourglass, these are the days of our lives, right? I mean, this stuff's messed up, man. Like, I thought my crazy brother-in-law was like off the rocker. Like, this is in the Bible? That's crazy. That's an insane story. But those are the people listed here in Ruth 4. I wonder where else they're listed. Matthew chapter 1. Turn there or follow along on the screen and notice in Matthew chapter 1 whose names get mentioned. Again, I'm going somewhere. Hang with me. What was the phrase you were supposed to keep in the back of your mind? And she bore a son, right? Verse 3, Matthew chapter 1 says, And Judah, the father of Perez, by Tamar. Huh, Ruth 4. And we already know their stories. Now verse 5. And Salmon, fathered the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Huh. Well, we know her story. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. We know her story. Now, the phrase lingering in the back of your mind was what? She bore a son. Now read verse 21. This is exciting. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Where are the same people of Ruth 4 mentioned again? Matthew chapter 1. Why? Because Ruth 4 is foreshadowing Matthew 1 and the coming of Jesus Christ. And who is mentioned in his genealogy? 
prostitutes, Moabites, and adulterers. And what did Jesus come to do? Look back at verse 21 again. You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Ruth's marriage to Boaz. I'm not stretching verse 13. It is a picture of foreshadowing the good news of Jesus Christ. Namely, redemption, salvation is for anybody and everybody who believes. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter how messed up your family is, no matter how messed up your life is, Jesus can save you. He can redeem you. That, that is the story of Ruth. It is the good news of the gospel. Dear friends, Ruth didn't grow up in a Baptist church. She didn't attend a Christian school. She didn't memorize verses in the King James Version. She never sang every verse of just as I am, but that's exactly how she was redeemed. Praise God, heaven won't be filled with Boy Scout badges and straight-A students. It'll be filled with former prostitutes and Moabites who were not too proud to look to Jesus the way Ruth looked to Boaz and say, Redeem me! As unworthy as I am, redeem me. And in that moment, you received a brand new identity. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. And those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. That is our story. And that's why, no matter what's happening in your life today, your life is happily ever after. Your life is happily ever after because of Jesus Christ. This is your story. You are Ruth. You have a brand new identity because of Jesus Christ. Every eye right here, live venue right here, don't let any thought take you captive. Know who you are because of who He is. Amen? That's just verse 13. (laughs) This is just Ruth. What about Naomi? How does her story end? Ruth's story ends happily ever after. She's got a whole new identity. She's a whole new person. What about Naomi's story? Let's read it. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May His name... Be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. What a beautiful picture this is, if you know the story of Naomi. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. Wow. You remember Naomi? Everything shattered. Everything broken. No life. No husband. No hometown. No hope. No future. Go home. Don't come with me. I'm bitter. God's against me. On and on and on and on. The record played. She was so bitter because her life had fallen apart. Well, guess what? It just got put back together. This phrase here, 
is really what this whole series has been based off of. He shall be to you a restorer. Hope, life, restored. How? Well, for Naomi, it's through this grandson. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Um, is this just this idea that, you know, grandchildren just really have a way of renewing you and restoring you in your old age? Is that what, is that what this means? I mean, I understand that grandchildren are a blessing. I have never been more irrelevant or insignificant to my parents than the moment my children were born. <laughs> my kids were born and they looked at me like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> we will go visit them and they'll be like, thank you for bringing them by. Now you go do whatever you want to do. It's like, it's all about the grandchildren, right? I mean, I get that grandchildren are a blessing, but that's not the author's point. The author's point here is that Naomi's life has been healed. Where the author started in the beginning, he's now ending the story with. How did the story start? She lost everything. How does it end? She's been restored. She has Ruth. She has this grandchild. She has family. She has future. Hope has been restored. And one of the amazing things, just, just quickly and we'll move to the last point, one of the amazing things about this series, um, I don't know, maybe more than any, has been the, the emails that I've received about lives that are starting to be healed. I mean, emails that I'm convinced were written with tears. And I can assure you received with tears about lives that God is starting to restore because their hope has been renewed. Just I've shared several along the way. I'll give you two just recently. One is this, quote, This Ruth series has come at a time in my life where I couldn't be more hopeless. I pretty much weep every week through the sermon. For the past 20 years, I've experienced emotional, spiritual, and physical rejection. I have felt doomed to a loveless life. I am praying for strength to overcome, to obey, and hear this, I am hopeful. Did you hear that? I am hopeful. God will redeem my story. Hope is not a hope so. It's an assurance in the things of God. Each week, that is at church, each week is painful, but healing. One more. My husband and I are so grateful to be a part of such an amazing faith family. We just found out my husband's father has been diagnosed with cancer. We have shed tears, but we have faith and hope. We do not believe that our faith would be this strong if we wouldn't have come across Berean. Look at me, sweet faith family. I will not stop fighting for your hope. Hope in God. Naomi, maybe this is your first week here. Naomi, believe that chapter 4 is coming. Know that chapter 4 is coming. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I know that because of Jesus, He has the power to put your life back together. It will, however and whenever it ends, it will end happily ever after.
That's how Ruth's story ends. That's how Naomi's story ends. And then there's one last point. It's the last few verses of the story of the book, and they are unbelievably exciting. I can't wait to read them. Look, verse 18. You ready? Now these are the generations of Perez. Sweet! I was driving to church today hoping we'd talk about the generations of Perez. And here they are. He fathered Hezron. All right? And he fathered Ram. And he fathered Abimadad. Who is he? And he fathered Nashon. And Nashon fathered Salmon. And he fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Oh, that's so blah. Like what an, what an ending to a story. Are you beginning to notice a pattern that some of the biblical authors have a difficult time ending a story? Oh, I know it's inspired of God. Don't send me an email. I'm just saying that, that Jonah, Jonah ended and there was much cattle. What? What? Cattle? I didn't even know anything about cattle. Where did cattle come from? And then we went through the book of Acts for like four years, it seemed like. And we got to the end and it was like the greatest cliffhanger ever. We don't find out what happens to Paul. He's just left there and we're like, well, there's got to be more. And then you come to Ruth and it's like genealogy. Be honest. Don't you act all spiritual to me. When you're reading through the Bible and you come across a genealogy, what do you do? Skip it, busted. You are so unspiritual. I, I don't, I never do that, right? Yeah, we skip it because we think genealogies are boring. This is not how we would end this story, but it's how it should end. You say, well, I don't understand. Why is this the perfect ending? Why is this a happily ever after ending? Let me illustrate it this way. There's a movie called Ants. Um, we're getting really deep here. Uh, this, is, this may be the most theological part of the message. Ironically, it's about a colony of ants. And there's a worker ant who falls in love with the princess ant. And you, you watch the movie and all the ups and downs and the twists and turns and how they're defeating the evil general. And then the story ends like this. They're all gathered around. They're celebrating. It's, it's a happily ever after ending. Everybody's so excited. They lift them up on their shoulders and then the camera starts to do something. It starts to scan back. It starts to pan further and further away. And all of a sudden, you've been watching this story. You've been going through the ups and downs, and you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. This whole story has been one little speck, this one little bitty ant colony right there in the middle of Central Park. And you're left with the reality and the understanding that this little story that you've been watching is actually a part of a much larger story. 
That is why this is the perfect ending. It's a happily ever after ending for the nation of Israel. In other words, the the author ends it this way by saying, this story is not just about Ruth and Boaz. It's not just about Naomi and grandchildren. No, you need to scan back just a little bit further because how did this story start? It started with these words. It was the time of the judges. Namely, there's no king in Israel. Israel. There's no leadership. There's no direction. And so when you scan back, what you see is who's coming. This king, King David. In other words, it starts with no king and it ends with the greatest king Israel will know. It's a happily ever after story for the nation of Israel. It's a happily ever after story for us because as it scales in on this one story right here, faith family, it acts in disobedience. It suffers the consequences and it wonders, has God abandoned our family? And God says, no, I will give Naomi a grandson, Ruth, a son. And then you scale back and you see, it's not just about a family. It's about a nation. A nation that has acted in disobedience. A nation that is suffering the consequences for sin and famine. And they wonder, has God forsaken His very people? And the answer is no. I'm going to give you a baby from which you'll have King David. And then you scale all the way back and realize the redemptive story. That there is a humanity that has sinned against God and faced the consequences of separation from God. And will God abandon us? No. He will send His Son in a manger into the world that we might be redeemed. What is God's point? What is the point of the author's ending? God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. In the darkest moment, in the darkest moment of a family, God shows his faithfulness. In the darkest moment of a nation, God shows His faithfulness. And in the darkest moment of all the world, God has shown forth glorious light. How? Through a baby. Not David. The greater David. One who was born in Bethlehem. Not a king. The king. The king of kings, Jesus Christ. Here's how the story ends. He will not leave you without hope. However dark it may be, light is coming. The faithfulness of God in your life will be seen. Is this not An amazing story. One minute you're a nobody from Moab. The next minute you're a part of the people of God. One minute you have nothing. The next minute you have more than you could ever imagine. One minute the future is hopeless. The next minute hope has been restored. It's because, dear friends, redemption changes Everything. Every eye right here. Happily ever after. That's not a fairy tale ending that was scripted in Hollywood. 
That's a reality that was purchased for you at Calvary. And today, it may not feel like your story is happily ever after. But you know what that means? It just means your story is not over yet. Because if you know Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, here's what you can take to the bank. When the final chapter of your life is written, it will end happily ever after. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's the greatest news in the world. And there are some here today that don't know it. They've never received it. They've never experienced the life change that Ruth experienced. They can. If they will turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer, today can be where their story becomes happily ever after. Others in this room, their life just needs to be restored. They need to begin that process of healing and renewal. Lord, whatever the decision may be, whatever the issues may be, Lord, would your spirit meet us right here, right now. Restore us in you. Renew our hope. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.